People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just gonna be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. Hi, I'm Raoul Pal, and welcome to my show, The Journeyman. This is where I take you and myself on this journey of understanding at the nexus of macro, crypto, and exponential age technologies. Crypto has been a big part of my thesis going back to 2013 when I wrote one of the first, if not the first ever macro strategy piece on crypto. And I saw in Bitcoin a lot of the things that would give us the future of the financial system. And I was enamored by the space. And as the space developed, I realized it had become something more than just the financial system. It was absorbing culture. It was becoming the value layer of the internet overall. And if you remember my last conversation with Dan Tapiero, we talked about the scale of what's happening here and the adoption of people into the space and the kinds of companies being built. But, you know, first and foremost, like Dan, I'm an investor in the space and I hold tokens because that's something I look at. And I do a lot of deep analysis, in my work at Global Macro Investor. And we also do it at, at Real Vision in uh, Real Vision Pro Crypto and Real Vision Pro Macro. That's where we do our deep thinking about this space. And it was about March 2021 that I first met Tolly from Solana. I had a small position in Solana. And I was really impressed by him. We were at a panel at some very private event. Um, and I got to know him a bit and had been observing it. And then when things started blowing up in 2021, uh, 2022, I started investing more seriously, thinking, okay, well, it's either going to go to zero or this is basically Ethereum all over again in, in uh, 2018. And I continued to monitor the space when FTX blew up. And I saw some magic happening, which was that people were coming behind this ecosystem and not walking away from it. And that gave me a lot of comfort that this was something big. Um, and so my conviction levels over time have risen in this space. And recently, I was in New York where I heard Tolly speak about, who's the co-founder of Solana, um, about Firedancer, Visa, and Pressed NFTs, and also some other people who I really respect, like Colleen Sullivan from uh, Brevin Howard talking about this. And it made me really pay attention that there is a seismic shift about to happen in this particular ecosystem. And so I actually became a larger investor now in Solana than I am in, in anything else. 
Now, that's not for you to copy me or that I'm right. I can be stupidly wrong as well. But really what's interesting to me is what they're doing and how it can really help move forward the entire crypto industry. You know, we love to see different people, different ecosystems pioneering. You know, I am a, I am by far and away not a maxi of anything. What I care about is the entire space and the entire space going. I'm a macro guy as well, so I'll take bets on where I think who's outperforming whom and in what format. But Solana, I think to me, seems to be winning the race in the applications layer and also the speed layer. And those things combined means it's something that could get to a billion people. And that's what makes me pay attention. So what I really wanted to do was go straight to the horse's mouth and speak to Tolly himself and to see what he thinks is happening in the Solana ecosystem. Because, you know, it's a decentralized ecosystem. They're not building everything. It's just other people do. But I really want to pick his brains and find out also what a lot of these big developments mean. What is Firedance all about? Why does it matter? What are compressed NFTs? And I think these things that are being built here are going to be game-changing. Now, other ecosystems will bring other game-changing things too. But this to me right now is my focus. So I really wanted to chat to Tolly to find out from him what he thinks is going on. I hope you enjoy it and get, up, get as much out of it as I do. Thank you. Join me, Raul Pal, as I go on a journey of discovery through the macro, crypto, and exponential age landscapes. In The Journeyman, I talk to the smartest people in the world so we can all become smarter together. Tony, fantastic to see you back on Real Vision. Yeah, thank you for having me. Not at all. Listen, before we start, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to share my screen. It's going to set some ground rules for us. Yeah. This is one of your tweets. I follow you and your tweets. I don't understand a single word. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's hilarious because, you know, A, you are you know, very eloquent in how you deal with the community and how you do stuff. And then also you're an incredible deep thinker on the ecosystem you're building and everything around it. And I read these things and I'm like, I don't really understand any single point there. So you're going to have to bear with me because I think about the world in macro terms. And, you know, obviously, as you know, Solana's been, what you've been building has been squarely on my radar screen as something truly incredible. So, you know, well done for what you're doing. What I'd love to get, because we spoke several months ago, I'd love to get a broader update on where you are, where, what you're building, what's coming. Because there's some, you know, last time I saw you was at the... Uh, mainnet event and between you and colleen sullivan who was talking about fire dancer that was like a really kind of holy shit moment for me but you've got so much going on that it's hard to keep up with so let's run down before we get to fire dancer let's go through what's exciting for you what's happening in the solana ecosystem because it for me it feels like everything everywhere all at once yeah honestly like this has been like kind of a hardest year emotionally but easiest year otherwise and uh what made it hard was like just kind of having to deal with all the fud from ftx and kind of seeing the ecosystem have that shock 
And like, it's, it's hard. Like you feel it, right? Like when something like that happens, it's like really gut wrenching and like felt like, you know, you get stabbed in the back. It just sucks. Um, but what made it easy is that like a lot of the folks, um, both in the ecosystem and at labs and foundation that have been like here for like four years or so, like that have been here for a while, uh, are at that point that they've kind of mastered their trade and they're really took control of everything. And like, I, it felt like I, it felt very different. I didn't have to like, I felt like the ecosystem is like pushing more than me. <laughs> I mean, I was, it was, it was amazing. It was yeah. one of the things that got me super bullish on the ecosystem, even though I've been a token holder for a long time was, was seeing how the community dealt with the aftermath. It was, incredible right yeah yeah that was really like it was awesome to see it was awesome to talk for me to talk to dabs and for them to be like yeah it sucks but we can't there's no other place like that we can do what we want to do literally like we'd have to build our own blockchain and it's just like i don't want to do that <laughs> that was like the response that i got from multiple different teams and that felt good i was like okay we have like our hardcore fans that have product vision like their only alternative is literally to build their own L1 and they think it's not worth it for them because they'd rather build product. And I'm like, that's great. How did you refocus yourself at that point? Because as you said, it's actually emotionally very hard to go through to see all of uh, this. And I suck at this. Raj is really good. He's got that like emergency room doctor, I think. <laughs> vibe. I, I'm like, okay at it. Like, I, it's not like a panic or whatever, but he is able to just like tell the the story and the narrative and like kind of like reframe things to where I'm my brain is not just like focused on the on the failure over and over. I tend to like get stuck in a loop where I'm like kind of just over and over thinking about the worst possible outcome. That's a really good thing for the engineer <laughs> brain because like when you're doing systems design that's what you want to do if you want to think about the worst possible outcome all the time uh but not good for probably every other aspect of life is that how you and raj tend to balance each other out yeah for sure for sure yeah he's he's been there's been lots of moments like this i mean every startup i think has had like a bunch of near-death experiences so like <laughs> i would say <laughs> I would say Raj has always been able to like work through those without, uh, with like while I'm like panicking, like this is like everything's gonna <laughs> collapse at the same time. Yeah, you've got to be an optimistic pessimist, and so yeah. between the two of you, yes. you kind of balance that out. It can be the optimist, yep. you can be the pessimist, and you find the right solution in the end. Yep. What has happened? What the hell has happened to the Salt ecosystem this year? So you get through that crisis the community gets together and it it explodes yeah like first of all like what is the community it's not um there's no like list right there's no like single org or anything like that it's a bunch of people that choose to go build on solana because there's something that they like about it um and there was this public perception prior right that like the only reason people built on solana was because of sbf at least that was like a lot of the you know, it's a Ethereum maxis on Twitter would try to spin that narrative. When in reality, like reality is far different. You know, like people have done surveys, like what percentage of devs had even investments from Alameda? It's not 
it wasn't anywhere near even the majority, let, let alone like the plurality. So like the, that like the ecosystem is big and it's amorphous and people build for different reasons. A lot of them are like almost like counter uh, macro cyclical to crypto at all. And these are people that have like very long deployment li like life cycles and these long roadmaps that just have a ton of like execution. And from their perspective, like, is the network still up? Okay, like, I don't really care what's going on. And these are folks like Helium, Hivemapper and stuff. They do depend on a macro, but what they really care about is like their product working and shipping and all the stuff that's involved there is just much, much cheaper logistics than has to do anything with like the price of Bitcoin today. So there's just kind of like this big ecosystem, this one event happened and it was a shock to everyone because it was so public and such a massive like amount of fraud happened that felt like a stab in the back, I think to me personally, to I think a lot of people like can only imagine like the, you know, the investors that put their reputation on the line, like Sequoia and stuff like that, right? This is their whole careers that like are go up in smoke over this one really, really bad actors. It's terrible, right? For everyone involved, let alone like the customers and stuff. So like it's a massive shock and like it felt like the world has fallen apart, but when we can't just like do nothing. So we thought like, what's the most important thing is probably find which teams had like their runway severely impacted because they kept it on FTX. And this was something that was like, those teams are like the most in trouble. Right, like shit has really hit the fan for them. So we talked to a bunch of teams. Luckily, vast majority of them, like, have not. And in some ways, this is like to thank the Fed because the Fed started raising rates. A lot of people just rotated into T bills, like, because short term T bills give you like pretty decent <laughs> rate. <laughs> the lending rates on every platform have like went down, so it was like kind of like a no brainer for most teams that had like an accountant or somebody managing their funds. Uh, some teams got hit really badly, like word cell guys. And I would s say like the biggest one would be like Armani, like backpack. And they did have enough runway for like 18 months. And this is something that Raj and I got good at, at like telling the story. Look, Solana had nine months of runway <laughs> in 2020. We had to do layoffs. Like everything was like on fire. COVID hit and we launched and like you have to, 18 months is a massive amount of time. It's actually all you should plan for as a, as a seed stage founder is an 18 month cycle. You have to get to like, you have to prove something that is worth like going to the next stage, either with revenue or growth. Like you have to prove PMF is a possibility within that 18 months. If you think that you have more than that, you failed already. Like even if you have more runway than that, like you really need to think in like 18 months terms. Um, so we were able to like, just like get a lot of the founders refocused and probably backpack guys are like the best example of this. They just like, just the energy were like, I think they were angry. Like they got impacted personally, their company got really screwed and they just pulled all that energy into like basically working, you know, like and they wanted to expand the team. Instead, they expanded the hours that everyone worked. <laughs> 
by like, and they crushed it, right? They like really focused on growth and um, building a really strong community and product and have this amazing NFT launch and everything just kind of worked out for them. But now like at every stage they went strategically to like, what is the next product that we can build? Now they're building like a full exchange that is already live and had like the pith token launch. So it wasn't just like roadmaps or anything like that. They really, really executed. So that like, maybe it's possible that like, if they didn't keep their funds on FTX and they had it all in T-bills and they had, you know, the five years of runway, they would have been on this old plan of like slow growth. Like there's kind of like the silver lining here. A bit of hunger and a bit of anger goes a long way. Yeah, exactly. And this is what we had in 2019, 2020, because we always felt that our competitors raised from like all the top branded VCs. We didn't. (laughs) We like our biggest branded VC is Multicoin. That is not, it's not A16Z as much as I love Kyle. Like, so, and our competitors raised five to 10 times more than us. So we had that kind of hunger in us. One of the things that I've always observed about the Solana ecosystem is how much applications layer stuff is being built. That I think is a big differentiator to me, you know, and people migrating onto it, Helium, stuff like yep. that, Hive Mapper. You know, even backpack, all of this. This is something different. Why is that happening, and what is going on there? Yeah, so we actually sold scale, like no bullshit. <laughs> That's why <laughs> is that uh, the chain is cheap and fast and has large capacity. Um, recently, I think you saw like somebody built this new NFT token standard, very terribly named SPL twenty. So. <laughs> Taking taking a number from Ethereum and an acronym from Solana that are completely unrelated to NFTs and mixing them together, and uh, because of that, the network did like three times more transactions a day. went went from like eighteen million to fifty million transactions for the day when when this thing launched, and there were no problems on chain. So we actually solved scale to a very very like impactful amount of capacity like where we've never hit a limit to where transaction fees globally have spiked which uh, in my mind that's a failure point in a communication network is when you're saturated typically in a radio cell tower network hey you're saturated there's a that's a bug (laughs) go deploy more hardware we've never been there um so everything that we focus on is not scaling technologies it's application level technologies um and there is some overlap with scaling technologies like ZK. There's folks like, like Protocol, but they're not building a layer two. They built SDKs for developers to go build very optimized, zero knowledge based systems for privacy, for different kinds of performance improvements that the chain can't do. But that's not, we're not here to like build more like layers or frameworks. So there's no, uh, funding for that for Solana. Like it, it's very hard. It would be, I imagine, very hard to raise for a Solana layer two because the economics don't make sense. Like on Ethereum, you have very expensive layer one and your layer two, you can at least say like, hey, we'll, we'll extract value somewhere between the optimal cost, which is what Solana's at, and Ethereum L1 cost will be the middle man just that can take a rake <laughs> at that rate. And that's that's because of how expensive Ethereum is. That's actually a valuable proposition. You cannot do that on Solana because, like, the costs on Solana are already so cheap. 
And when there are fees, they're for hotspots and a, a, another layer doesn't solve hotspots. There's no data, solution to database hotspots. So like all the devs, all the investments is into applications. How do we actually build stuff that people use? Yeah. And that's, you know, everyone says, well, where's the use cases? I see them popping up, you know, all over the place. I don't think yet people understand how big the compressed NFTs are. You know, we've seen Drip House. They're kind of thinking, you know, most people just think of NFTs as, you know, the usual kind of art or PFPs. I'm like, no, no, this is solved kind of unique smart contracts at scale that could work for ticketing, could work for anything. How are you thinking through that? Yeah, this was, again, um, this was some somebody like an idea that we've had floating around for a long time. In, in fact, the post that you, the tweet that you shared that you couldn't understand, it's talking about compressions. We've been talking about this for like, generalized version of compression forever compression all uh, i know is from silicon valley that the show yeah in a lot of ways like i think real life is is stranger than fiction it's a technology to uh to track assets on chain without using a lot of state and state is expensive um and it can be generalized to many things but nfts were like kind of the first use case that people really desperately wanted this because there are applications like ticketing like loyalty points, all sorts of different things that could really, really use a very, very cheap blockchain that can track assets very cheaply. So we built it and uh, Drip House was one of the first folks. This is the Vibo, the guy that actually started Solana Spaces. A lot of people think that Solana Spaces was like built by Solana. No, this is like a solo entrepreneur that was like, hey, I'm going to try something in crypto. And he had experience with retail. And uh, he got, I think, uh, a grant from the foundation to go try it out, but it was his baby. So he pivoted mm. to digital assets and he built this platform that's based on the idea that you can have artists that mint NFTs to large audiences. Like you have like Instagram style followers, you have 30, 50,000 followers. They pay a subscription fee if that's how the artist wants to monetize. And the artist just makes art every week or whatever and like goes mints it and in a mass mint. And you can, you know, make some more rare, some art, you can have rarity, all the stuff that you can do with NFTs, you can do with compressed NFTs, but it's a different model because now you have kind of like an abundance of art. You have as many artists as you can onboard with as many followers as you can onboard. There's, you're not really trying to play games around like 10,000 NFT mint. That's very hyped. You're really trying to build a relationship between artists and the followers. I just think and there's going to be a lot of really incredible yeah. applications coming out of this because I don't think anybody's got their heads around what this enables. Yeah, we can track salmon on chain <laughs> if that's what people want to do. <laughs> yeah, because um, it's a unique identifier. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of those applications are in, people imagine them, they're post-product market fit crypto. It's like when everyone... <laughs> already has like a crypto wallet when apple is shipping a crypto wallet right like we're gonna have lots of different applications that all make sense now kind of like in the 90s people all dreamt of like you know everything that we have now but it was just too early because you don't have that like deep understanding of what cryptography is what signing is and custody that people do with the web and that's a learned thing like people had to learn what a link is even if now links are much, much easier and safer to click than in the 90s, uh, they still had to learn it and kind of their brain had to understand that me mental model. Myself, right? Like people that have been in crypto, I think we all kind of now 
naturally get what a wallet is. Like everyone has like, even though if you don't understand cryptography, you get what a wallet does, you get what a seed freight does. Um, people don't get that yet. So we need that like broad human base to understand this. And then like Google, the Apple. The big shame say, is yeah. that, um, that Instagram didn't continue on the pro I'm yeah. sure they'll come back. I'm sure they yep. will. But that was a big shame, right? Because that was, it was so close. Yeah. So like compressed NFTs would have been perfect for them. And I think Driphouse basically like is demonstrating that the Instagram model would work, which is awesome. Um, so like, yeah, I hope they're watching like what the ecosystem is doing. And uh, when they do come back, you know. Well, I mean, just... you know the team there and I know the team yeah. there. and They're all Web3 proponents, but they just got, for sure. you know, you've got to have some balls to say in this space. Yep. Um, yeah, when Meta stock dropped like by bajillion percent and like Zuckerberg was like, we need to cut costs. So all right. the innovation teams got shut down. Yeah, we're like, welcome to crypto. This is the way yeah. the world works, right? I've been <laughs> yeah. here since 2012. Yeah. It's never changed. Yeah. And what about um, the DeFi side? Because that seems to be growing fast as well. What's happening there? Yeah, this was the kind of the biggest surprise. One mm. is that like we thought Solana was perfect for DeFi when we were, when we were designing it really building in this idea that cheaper, faster for finance is always better. And it's been a struggle to get adoption there, especially <laughs> after the FTX collapse. But there were really, really strong teams like Margin, like Solon, like Jito, Jupiter, all these guys that just kept building through the bear market, through the all the Black Swan events and um, are now like, I think, at that next stage of maturity to where they're really hitting the growth, you know, hitting growth mode. And it's really, really awesome to see. Like Gito's like numbers are like literally look like a hockey stick. So. <laughs> and what kind of applications are they building DeFi world? Is it all about yield or is it, you know, swap it? What are they doing? Yeah. DeFi is basically like decentralized markets, right? These are different kinds of markets and these are markets for lending or markets for trading or staking. And probably kind of like some of the more interesting ones are like where like the DeFi application like Jito, it, it intersects like L1 staking security because you could have a stake pool that now runs this MEV optimized code that can then give back the profits that it's getting from MEV to the entire stake pool. So now you're earning like normal L1 staking yield but on top, you're also earning Jito yields on top of that. So you have like these really cool applications that are now like really tying layer one decentralization to DeFi. That means that DeFi that really depends on censorship resistance and decentralization now has like direct financial impact on the network itself in a positive way. And that that's really, really good to see. So like if these trends continue and like, DeFi really takes off, right? And you have trading and finance and all this stuff running on the network. You have these really, really positive loops where the people that really care about the network being decentralized from a censorship resistant and fault tolerant point of view are the ones that are also deeply in DeFi. So they're constantly monitoring it. It's not just like these two separate like groups of people, the validators and the application users. That crossover makes everything better and faster and like just more connected. So to me, like that, just really, really good to see in the long term. But obviously, like DeFi is the most important app, I think, for crypto. It's the biggest innovation, I think, 
that crypto brought to the world. It's the one that's the hardest for adoption because this is software eating part of finance that humans really, really do not want to give up control of. They, <laughs> they like being the middleman and earning like a free percentage point off somebody else's money, right? Like it, <laughs> if software can do it for 10 times less, that, that like, they don't like to give that up. But I think it's, a, it's inevitable. There's just no way that within, you know, 20 years, whatever, 50 years, that all this stuff isn't running on software would be absurd. And I think it'll be faster because I think the financial community knows this as well. Yeah. I mean, they're not stupid, right? JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, Blackstone, Apollo. I mean, they all know it. They all know it. And they're all, they've all got teams building. If this is a true disruption, it means it should compress their profits, right? Like this is what disruption, disruption brings. Yeah. But I think they will end up pivoting their business models because of it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure that these big pools of capital will become liquidity providers in DeFi world to get returns, stuff like that. And that's a game changer. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Back to Backpack. What are they doing there? Because I've been following this story. It looks interesting. What's going on? Yeah, after the collapse of FTX, there were a lot of people that really, like, you know, fight or flight, I think, is like what people experience. <laughs> and some people really want to fight. And and this and this Armani and Tristan and those folks, I think one of the people that really, like, want to fight. So their initial gut reaction was like, we're going to build a better exchange than FTX or it could be that's hyper-transparent with MPC for, like, you know, proof of customer funds and things like that. So this is what they're building and, and shipping. So over the, the last year, they basically like on their skunk works team on, on running on fumes, they built both the wallet, the NFT ecosystem for, for mad lads and now launch an exchange. Um, and that means like it's a centralized exchange, but it's fully licensed, you know, like wherever. You know, they're doing the whole centralized exchange play, which is fine. Like, I think those those systems should exist uh, because they're the ones that can really connect much easier to fiat rails right now than than DeFi rails. And like, eventually, I hope that that changes, right? And we have like Bank of America as a direct rail onto Solana. That would that would be my dream. But like, that's where, that's not where we're at right now. So it's awesome to see them just execute. Um, and like, there's another team that was launched by um, product of engineering director at Solana, Bartosz. So he quit labs and built his own exchange called Cube. Also like hyper-focused on security. There's MPC of your customer funds when they're at rest. So you actually like they're, they built the system such that they don't even hold the funds directly. It's holds, it's held by like, you know, third parties in a multi multi party wallet, which is really, really cool and segregated by each user. Right. So like you have both fund segregation and MPC for, for all the funds and they're just building the technology to do all the, the trading and everything else. So like really, really both of them took this idea that like, not only do we not want to, this to ever happen again, we want to make it impossible for it to happen again. And that's what I love about this space. Like it learns. This failure, out of failure, is this unbelievably fast product cycle of which they then look at what, where it failed, rebuild, 
and it keeps learning. You know, you see it all yeah. the time. It's incredible. The speed at which people do it in crypto is beyond comprehension. For sure. This is like the probably the fastest industry, I think. I mean, it's definitely the fastest one I've ever been a part of. AI is pretty scary fast. I honestly think product cycles in crypto are faster. Because also, you know, because of how you can raise capsule and go to market, you know, it's it's such a fast cycle that yep. it just breeds innovation. People understand failure risk and that net net, the space just keeps growing over time. Yeah, for sure. NFTs are also picking up, right? I know the, the compressed NFTs, but we're starting to see more people building in the space, more people downloading Phantom Wallet. We're seeing a lot more of that. That's been a big spike. Um, why are people moving across to Solana for NFTs? Is it because of disposable income? Because people are making money in Solana, they want to own Solana assets outside of the compression algorithm because obviously it's very cheap and fast to do stuff. Um, that, like, I think is hard for me to tell. Like, I, I think you kind of see maybe the NFT markets are like the tip of the spear of the bull cycle, I hope. I don't know. <laughs> well, I just think of them as trophy assets, you know, for the typical NFTs we're talking about these days. So you make some yep. money in Solana, you buy some NFTs, and you you kind of, you still get your Solana exposure. I think like stuff like Mad Lads and like Planos, you, you're, you're seeing like very strong, credible teams like continue to, to like ship on their vision. Um, and that's attracting people. Like, I think there's other things like SBL twenties and things like that, which are kind of like this weird, uh, ins inscription ordinals kind of thing. That's right. <laughs> uh, but people are, are like learning what, what the different, like they're still messing around and it's still not clear what, what the, uh, value prop is there. But, um, like it's kind of like the NFT space has always been like much, much faster, even the general crypto, like in terms of cycles of, of what's cool, what's up and coming. So I don't know. Uh, it is like surprising to me, like whenever like things pop off there, but oftentimes it's really like tip of the spear what like becomes a narrative later on. Yeah. It's always worth watching because all of the memetics, <clears throat> all of the narrative all comes out of that space. And you don't see it until later when you look back and go, oh, I get it now. This was you know, culture was moving in this direction. So let's talk about Fire Dancer, because I think this is another, like the compressed NFTs, this is such a big change. Talk us through the story of it and what it does. I think of decentralization in a very kind of measurable way. Uh, I think it's very important to try to ground it in like some reality. Um, so in my mind, it has to be observably measurable. And what it the point of it is fault tolerance. It's kind of, you know, should be, it's obvious to me, but it's just how likely is it that the network has this irrecoverable, horrible failure, right? And, and making something more decentralized means removing single points of failure. And one of the last and hardest single points of failure to remove is um, different teams implementing the exact same protocol for the layer one, for the under, for the whole thing. Ethereum has done like kind of a remarkable job there. I think they have four different implementations of the Ethereum layer one. It's one of the reasons why things would move much, much slower in Ethereum is because there's four, four different implementations. Um, but it's also why they are like the, you know, the leader in decentralization um, is you can actually point to that and say, look, there's 
four different client teams that understand the protocol and have re-implemented it. Different code bases. So the probability of a bug existing in two implementations built by two different teams in different languages, the exact same bug is virtually zero unless it's a design bug. Um, so Fire Dancer's separate team writing in a separate language, writing it in C, C++, uh, and most of the team is out of uh, the high-frequency trading team out of Jump. So they're super hardware guys, super fast-performing code guys. It's not that labs folks are not. It's just they also uh, have a... They see the start and end of the of the maze, and they can actually draw just a straight line. <laughs> while we had to meander through the maze and do like research and R&D and build it while trying to survive. So they get to build this from the ground up as optimized as possible. And what's cool is so far, there haven't needed to be any changes to the underlying protocol <laughs> to demonstrate that it can scale elastically with more hardware. And what they're really trying to show that if you add cores to any part of the system, that it just becomes faster. And once you show that, that's kind of our philosophy is that you're basically done in terms of engineering because if you don't have enough cores today, you have twice as many cores in two years, and you're probably good enough. Yeah, because it all scales with Moore's law as well, I yeah, guess. Exactly. It's been awesome to see them really show that the exact same Solana protocol, they're able to achieve like and saturate 20 gigabit networks with like four cores and different components. Um, and right now they have gotten... Uh, what they call Frankendancer. It's Firedancer code for the network stack, but Solana Labs code for the validation, like playing and Frankendancer because it's a Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly. Running on testnet, which is a huge milestone because having the network code connected and work with the rest of the network is uh, probably the biggest pain in the butt because it's hard, hardest to verify kind of largest surface to, to code against. Um, so my hope is that by next breakpoint, they have a full client running on, on mainnet. Um, and once we have that, now we have no single points of failure, right? Like in my mind, that's kind of the, that milestone where I can say, hey, let's stop calling Solana mainnet beta. We can call it mainnet. There's no single points of failure. There's <laughs> there's all, all the protocol-like possible things that we could fix are fixed more or less, but there's still like, you know, it's not done. Like, like Linux, hardware always changes, um, and like you'll always have improvements that you can make to make the to make the software like utilize the hardware better and cheaper. And Firedancer's speed is a different order of magnitude, isn't it? Yeah. So like, it's the same exact design. This is kind of what people don't understand. It's not like Solana 2.0. It's literally is the same implementation of Solana. It's just they're able to spend the time to take the different components and test them to a much larger network bandwidth throughput. And because they're able to do this one component at a time, they can see the bottlenecks and the algorithms and identify them and kind of restructure them if they need to. Or if there is actually like some algorithm that needs to be changed, there's a process now to propose those changes and then get them accepted and get like, labs and and fire dancer to agree on those algorithms so far they haven't needed to do that but if that if they ever hit that bottleneck we can do that too and does that change the whole speed of the entire solana network or is there is there a routing choice you have to take so 
to maintain like what we want is two clients ideally split 50 50 by stake but at least 33 percent of them running both clients something like that would work too where users can then switch primary to secondary right and, and fail over if one is having trouble um so once you have that you kind of have safety and liveness guarantees that you can you can manage um so what we want is then for the labs client to then like be the limiting factor in terms of how fast the network goes and have the labs engineers then figure out what are the limits how do we like what algorithms do we need to optimize and then as that happens and as validators add faster hardware you can then increase the limits that are configured on the network like the block limits like exist in ethereum there's block limits on solana so you can then bump them up the number of compute units will go from like you know 48 million to 96 million so you'll be able to do twice as many NFT mints or something like that. But so far, we haven't hit our cure limits to a point where they're economically saturated. Yeah. And so theoretically, this fired answer raises the, um, raises the TPS to kind of 10x where it is now. Is that the right understanding of it or is it not? Yeah, that's what they can show. They can prove that the TPS can be raised to that capacity if the main validators have the right hardware. So if they can prove the software works at that limit, right, then all it takes is for the mainnet validators to go get that hardware. And that will eventually happen even if we do nothing. Because your hardware gets old, you're forced to upgrade by your data center. <laughs> so, like, so even if we do nothing, it will eventually happen. Uh, if there's no like encouragement or whatever, but like my guess is that if there's demand, to the point that like there's so much users coming onto crypto, coming onto Solana, that now hardware is a lim limiting factor. It's going to be the easiest thing to for people yeah, to upgrade solvable. because you can literally just order it from Amazon and go put it in your box. <laughs> and so when I look at when I saw Fire Dancer and seeing jump trading, it makes it it moved one step towards being able to build the financial system on this. Right, because it's the kind of speed you know. You guys have done the deal with Visa and stuff like that, but Visa's TPS is not like high frequency trading TPS or traditional exchanges and all the all the big securities markets. When I saw that, that's what went through my head immediately: is oh fuck, this is massive because this is what the securities industry needs. That's the goal. Like I think there is this dream. I don't, you know, it's kind of a science fiction. Not like how realistic is it? as realistic as Google's dream to index all of the world, right? And they did it. <laughs> like, but it is a dream that you could have a single giant, like hyper-optimized atomic state machine that's synchronized at the speed of light around the world. Meaning that like, soon as some financial event happens, like in Singapore, it starts propagating around the world to every other node. And it's like that information is just, just like, imagine, going through speed of light through fiber to everywhere else um that that system exists and it's solana and it's scales to both support visa and nasdaq at the same time and nfts and jupiter and all this stuff in a single atomic composable computer because the benefit of that i think is just kind of like astounding for finance like you see this in like jupiter like the silliest example is that you can do a 20 cent trade in jupiter like you swap 20 cents and 
it'll hit five different marketplaces because it's more efficient that way. So imagine if you have, if you were like at a exchanging foreign currency at the airport and you had 20 cents to change into 20 euros and you went to five different markets <laughs> because it's cheaper that way. You, you can't do that because they all, all have a flat fee that they charge. It's, you know, like at least a dollar, right? Like, so those are the inefficiencies of the real world financial system is that every one of these marketplaces to talk to them, you play, you pay a little bit of fee and a little bit of sand, like in the gears, but in one giant computer where things are like as cheap and as fast as moving electrons around, you don't have any of those inefficiencies. And like, this is what I imagine science fiction society runs on, right? Their finance on like in the, <laughs> right? Like they, they don't run it in a bunch of different kiosks that each one no, charges No, it just becomes the architecture for everything to be <laughs> right. built on top of, right? Right. Like, what do you imagine, like, you know, thousand years from now in like in utopia, right? Like how does finance run? It's in one giant computer that's extremely fault tolerant with a bajillion different implementations and like knows that it's all synchronized at the speed of light. And there's zero cost to talk to as many financial systems as you want in a in a single transaction. That's I don't know if it was you said this or somebody talks about this is a lot of people in crypto don't understand how fast and how many transactions happen in TradFi. And it's like j jump trading. If you read Michael Lewis's book, um, um, what was it called? The one about high-frequency trading. Basically, their whole game is, and you're not joking when you say the speed of light, it's how short and how fat can you make the fiber optic cable, I, how close to the exchange, and there is massive competition amongst those yep. people because the end output being the fastest is money. And if you can do that, for a globalized financial system, that becomes super interesting. Yeah, and those markets will still exist, but my belief is theoretically a market like running in this like hyper-optimized version of Solana can, can be as good as those in terms of price discovery. Like Because when you have like some crazy market-moving event happens in Singapore, it's still that information of that event still has to go to New York. So there's still latency from Singapore to New York for that news to travel. What's cool is that because Solana is global, the state transition can start propagating from Singapore mm. around the world too. So by the time it hits that like NASDAQ microwave trading system in New York, when they look at a price at NASDAQ and a price on a market in Solana, they're actually the same. So there is no arbitrage for that news anymore by the time like that, that hits that, that geographical spot. And this is why I think something like Solana could be competitive with these super hyper-optimized centralized systems. And that's really, really cool. Like that means that like this decentralized technology can be better, not because it's decentralized, but because it is actually cheaper, faster and open and better at price discovery. Like that's like, that means it's going to win eventually. If, even if we fail because we suck, <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> Somebody else will pick up this idea and we'll make it happen, right? Like, so I think it's an inevitability and like, I'm excited to be like pushing it the fastest, like as fast as I can. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, the, the big, you know, trend right now is RWA real world assets. But, you know, in my mind, when I first saw Bitcoin back in 2012, the idea that I saw is immediately that all financial assets can just go on chain as a way of transacting, just yep. as a simple thing like that, just for proven ownership, transferability, speed, and instant settlement. 
And it's interesting to see Kraken buy, I think they're buying a traditional equity market exchange. I just feel like somebody's going to crack that in this cycle. For sure. Yeah, it's coming. Um, I think there's a lot of like nuance and local regulation that you have to go through. And this yeah. has been like the, the biggest problem. I wish, man, I, I wish the US was just like a little faster because what should be happening is that US should be passing like the market structure bill, the stable coin bill, and then telling Europe and everyone else, follow these guidelines and standardize on them so we can just like move everything faster at a much faster pace. But like so far we've got half, half, like half measures. Like it's moving, but like nowhere near as fast as it should be. It doesn't help that they keep mentioning Solana and a bunch of other things as things that are, you know, securities or not securities, but, you know, everyone's getting prosecuted for stuff that's not gone through courts or not been ruled on. It's kind of impossible. How, how do you deal with it? I think U.S. is the best place to be like an uh, entrepreneur, like being outside of the U.S. is not going to protect you. Like, I don't think it matters. Um, so from my point of view and kind of analysis is that we were going to have to comply with U.S. laws regardless. For sure. Like, no matter what we do. Um, so might as well be here because you're at least can show them like things like Helium and like HiveMapper and look, be like, there's a direct ban benefit to your constituents. People offering a $5 data plan because it's built on crypto and it can move much faster than Verizon and AT&T to deploy 5G in like rural areas and stuff like that. And like, I think things like that, when you show that to US Congress people, they actually notice and it makes sense to them. And they're much more eager to move stuff forward. So like from my perspective, like it doesn't matter where you start a crypto company because it is global. But if you're in the US, you have as good of a shot at like succeeding as anywhere else. And you'd have to think about United States, even if you're outside of the US. Where are the big tech companies in this whole space? I mean, I speak to a whole bunch of them and they're, you know, they're, they're there in the background, but nobody's made the big move. What are you, what sense are you getting? Um, I think there's hard for them to figure out how to make revenues here. Like I think there's been some movement on like NFTs, like being more open to NFTs and like Google Play Store and things like that. I think Apple's going to be far behind on this because all those companies make money from controlling content and charging for it. It's hard for them to kind of still figure out how do we, how do we make money from like peer to peer content? But, um, I think they'll figure it out. Like, I think they just need to kind of like set up a model where they get a percentage of the revenues that the marketplace gets versus the percentage of the total sale. Like this is like hard for them to give that up because I think that would shrink their profits because why would, why would any game like give them a percentage of the total sale versus just their marketplace, you know? Yeah. But we're seeing, I mean, they're under threat. Google themselves are under threat because of AI anyway, getting rid of advertising, SEO, and all of the stuff. So they're going to have to change at some point and figure out new business models. Yeah, I, my guess is that the threat of AI actually makes them even more conservative on crypto uh, because it's another disruptor to their to their business model and like dealing with two is going to be even harder. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think what's cool is that AI is a new user experience. If you're a developer listening to this 
I would actually think of AI as your opportunity to like, um, bypass the current existing applications and build a GPT style, like UX app as a new meta, like whatever app you're building, make it a text interface. You're talking to a robot that does your things. Like you've seen some of the success in this and like some things like, uh, the Unibot or whatever, um, on Telegram. Yeah. I think those are very, very limited applications, but like, if you're really building, like you want to build a financial super app, like think of GPT as your new user experience meta. And that's your opportunity to like, kind of outflank all the other existing applications that have these visual user experiences that then have to shoehorn GPT into them. So you actually have an opportunity to go like the other way. Um, and it doesn't mean that you'll succeed, but like, it's very, very hard to compete head to head with an existing dominant player. Cause like humans are very, very sticky in their behaviors. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. It's, it's a whole different UX layer that people don't yeah. yet understand people. Yeah. The magnitude of what's just happened in AI is staggeringly big and people are just trying to get their heads around it right now. They think of it as like a, a hyper powered search. It's like, no, it's none of these things. It's. It's a much, much bigger thing. So what gets you most excited about the space overall and Solana over the next two years? Because it feels like, you know, the two-year cycle, this is going to be the madness, the opportunity. My general idea is this is the everything, everywhere, all at once, where we're going to see a lot of applications. Yeah, every hackathon that we've had, the quality of people and the products has gone up. And that's been... Even like after the FTX collapse, the, the, our next hackathon had more submissions than the previous one and the quality was higher. And it, that was like such a relief <laughs> to see that. Uh, like I, I like was able to take a breath when that, when I kind of saw the, those folks. So like, and especially this last hackathon, it's just really exciting that that's really, I think what, what I'm looking forward to is like new stuff new companies forming and, and new products being brought online. And then like, it's a very long cycle from those. Like I would say one in 20 go from that hackathon winner. Like they have a product that might or might not have a chance with PMF to actually getting a semblance of PMF and like having some stickiness and being, being able to like, you know, form a company that, that can raise and stuff. It, it's still very, very hard, but you basically need to maximize the number of smart people coming into the space, trying things and, and like seeing what happens. For me, there's going to be a lot of applications layer stuff this time around. That's all of that VC money, the 67 billion that went in in 2020, 2021 into all of crypto. I think just a large proportion of that will end up being applications, which will be a game changer. I think uh, VCs have been really reluctant to invest in apps because there's not a lot of like, um, I would say success stories that you can point to. I think it's all been infra investment. This is why you see more investment in Ethereum is because you can still kind of like, you, you know, you can say, well, this is like a new spin on a layer two technology and it's fully deleted valuation is probably going to be like one to $3 billion. So why wouldn't I invest at a hundred dollars? So this is like, I think kind of like the trap. I don't know. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. This is like the the middle income trap of ethereum because <laughs> they're stuck on infra development they can't get well, how many bloody layer twos do you need that's the yeah. question 
I mean, look, yeah. we're all Ethereum fans, but there is a limit to the number of layer twos you need. Yep. I mean, like the the fact that we're able to build up, like focus so much more on applications, I think is the, maybe Solana actually has more investment in applications than Ethereum. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised um, because it's really, really most of it is fo focused on app development. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Tony, listen, fantastic to catch up with you. And good luck for the for the next couple of years. Let's see where we get to. I just think it's going to be very interesting and be not what we expect, I imagine. That's the usual for sure. thing. For sure. Thank you so much. All right. Good to see you, my friend. So I managed to hold Tolly off from having a too technical conversation because he is a very smart guy and he understands the space incredibly deeply uh, and the technology. But what I tried to do was get him to tell us how this technology can be applied and what it can do. And I just think it's fascinating what's being built. Things like Helium, where you've got a telecom network being built on top of Solana with a reward system, or, or HiveMapper, which is a HiveMind you know, Google Maps. Or you've got exchanges being built. You've got DripHouse sending out millions of NFTs. And this is just the start of what the technology is going to enable. So this is a story of technology, but it's also the story of how technology can enable mass adoption. And to me, the Solana space is definitely one to keep your eye on. Now, whether my bet's right that of the major layer ones, this is its cycle, that remains to be seen. Don't listen to me. Do your own homework. And hopefully, this is part of it. Thanks so much. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. 